before we start, on May, May the 21st, I got to get these dates right. Some days my brain works really well, and other days it only works partially well. But, uh, yes, on May 21st, we're going to be having three baptisms. Uh, if you have been uh, feeling convicted by the Scripture, by the Holy Spirit, to, to be baptized, uh, you're a Christian, you've been saved by, by faith, uh, by grace, and uh, you've maybe been walking with the Lord for some time, or perhaps you're a new Christian, but baptism is something you've been wondering about, I would really encourage you to talk to me. But on the 21st of May, that would be an opportunity to be able to be baptized, okay? Um, and so if we talk and the Scripture is uh, clear uh, in your life that you know that's what you should do and that's what you need to be doing, then we can put you in that role and have a fourth person to be baptized on May 21st. So just want to put that out there as an opportunity for baptism, May 21st, okay? We are back in Leviticus here. And uh, this is the book that just keeps on giving. It's going to require a different approach as we go through it, looking at it. Anything Old Testament, when you're looking at Old Testament narrative, especially in books like Leviticus, when it has repetitive themes, uh, you can't be just exhaustive going verse by verse by verse because uh, you'll find the awful and the awful and the, and the various things being burnt on the fire. But it's in between these chunks of passages where you find great truths. You eating my birthday cake, Terry? <laughs> She's going to kill me dead now. Okay. Uh, anyway, by the way, I just want to say I really appreciate the thoughtfulness of the birthday cake out there uh, that, was, that was provided. That's pretty cool. I am going to be finally 50 years old. And uh, I'm very happy about that, actually. Uh, I'm, I'm quite excited about it, in fact. So, it's like a milestone, literally. You're right? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, back to the text. Uh, so, as we go through Leviticus, what we've done, just to skip ahead, we've been looking at the ritual sacrifices that were in chapters, uh, that, that are all in chapters 1 through 7, but there were five ritual uh, sacrifices that had to be made, and we've covered those. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 8 and going all the way through chapter 7, is simply a recapitulation of those offerings. And if you think, what are you talking about? I'll get there, just, pay, just bear with me. But it's a recapitulation of those offerings. And I don't plan on going through those offerings again. What I do plan on doing is trying to explain to you that this section of Leviticus, chapter 6, beginning in verse 8, going through chapter 7, is specifically written to the priest's role, the high priest or the priest's role, in administrating these offerings. Okay? The first time we take a look at the offerings, it was what the people needed to do. This is what they needed to do when they approached the tabernacle, when they approached the altar, and when they went towards the priest and what the priest would do for them. This is about what the priest's responsibility is. Okay, that's the difference in distinction. So, to back up, you say, well, why is that important? Well, as I said here, uh, we have to be very aware that on this side of the cross, on, on this side of Leviticus, that God's called us as His people to holiness. 
Because we've partaken, those of us who believe in Christ, have partaken of that one offering, Jesus Christ, whose blood uh, was shed for our sins, in which case was applied to us, in which case we can freely come in to, before the throne of God. And we need to make sure that as the Bible tells us in the New Testament, with the Old Testament understanding, that we are to walk in newness of life. Isn't that what the Scripture says? And so we're to serve with holy distinction. Now, the word distinction, is it, we don't often think about it but much, but it just simply means identifiable. It's distinct. It's identifiable. Okay? Uh, if I were to pull up here in my old Ford, it would be so distinct you would notice it. Okay? And especially all the oil that used to run out underneath it. Okay? It's very distinct. Everything about it is. Uh, but we also, in our vehicles, our, our, our homes, maybe have distinguishing characteristics about them. Okay? So distinction's not a new thing. But I want you to think about that in light of what it means to be a Christian bearing the name of Jesus in your life. Are you distinct enough from the world that, you're, that you are distinguishable from the way the world lives? Or, sadly, would you be indistinguishable? No one could tell a difference. So, we're going to be talking then about the distinction between holy and unclean. Because that's primarily what Leviticus is dealing with, is that which is holy and that which is unclean. Okay? The last time we spoke, we talked about David Peterson in his book, Possessed by God. And he writes, For the Hebrews, for those who were approaching the tabernacle, this, this tent of, uh, in the wilderness there where God had made himself available to be approached, he said, Holiness demanded separation with respect to places, times, persons, and acts. So, in other words... As the, as the people of Israel had come out of Egypt, they were now to shed off of their life idolatry, pagan practices of uncleanness. Uh, they were to not eat certain foods that God had deemed unclean. And all of this stuff was to identify them as set apart to God. Now, for us, on this side of the cross, because of Jesus, we don't have to pay attention to the foods, okay? Well, maybe too much of it, generally. But we don't have to worry about being seen as unclean before God because of maybe the wrong food we ate or any of those things. But we are also to keep casting off from us all of the residual of this world, the vestiges of this world, and idolatry. Now, we may, we're too advanced to bow down before some totem pole or rock. But we have more refined idols in our life, right? We have these, okay? We have technology, you know. We have, well, vehicles, and motorcycles, and gardens, and homes, and even children or spouses. Uh, jobs, reputations, um, political uh, ideas. All of these things for a Christian can easily become an idol in our life. And the Bible wants us separate, separate from those. So try to 
try to connect the dots between where we are here and where they were there. In different ways, the demand for separation from, from the beliefs and practices of the surrounding nations was to impinge on the life of every Israelite. In other words, how they were supposed to live in the land was supposed to be so distinct that when people met them, they thought, man, they're a peculiar bunch. They just shut down on, on Saturday. They do nothing. And then they, and then they have, their, they have their, uh, this tabernacle thing they're always going to, and, and then they'll take their livestock, and they'll go have, uh, the, the, the offer these sacrifices to their God. And the, bad, and the weird thing is their God actually does stuff. You know, because false gods don't do anything, right? So they were to be very, very unique. The tabernacle and later the temple would constantly represent God's holy presence in the midst of His people and His rule over them. And that's why this tabernacle was so beautiful as it was, the way it was arrayed. If you could imagine being on the plains of these very desert landscapes and this beautiful, ornate tent... I mean, it was a very ornate tent, was there. And, and there was this process of intercession going on and God's presence desiring to be among His people. But you, for you and I, see, when we go out and live every day as Christians who are born of the Spirit of God, whether you're taking photographs at, at uh, high schools or weddings or whether you're working in an office complex in a cubicle or whether you're a mechanic and under a truck, or whether you're in a medical practice, or wherever you are, okay, maybe you're in the tractor, maybe you're in a truck, you take with you the presence of God, because the Bible says to be saved is to be, is to be sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. You can't be saved and not have the Holy Spirit. You have to remember that. And so where you go, you manifest that presence of God to those around you. Now, do we do it perfectly? Sadly, no. We don't do it perfectly. Do we have struggles that we deal with? We do very much. But the idea is we are also supposed to be distinct just as they were. God's sanctifying presence would continue to mark them as a holy people and demand holiness of living as a response. Did you, do you realize, believer, that God expects you to live a holy life. You are supposed to be distinguishable among the people of the land. Wherever you go, you are to bring the fragrance of the gospel into that place. Now again, try not to think perfection. None of us can do that really well all the time. Okay? But, but it is an expectation that we represent Jesus no matter where we are. And as the time, uh, as the time, at least in Western culture, seemed to worsen. And persecutions arise at various times in various ways. It's going to call on us. To also open our mouth when maybe we wouldn't want to. To share that truth with people. So holy living means dis distinguished living before Christ. I hope that's clear as mud. Okay. Lastly, 
pollution and sin were to be avoided in every aspect of life and there was to be a complete break with every form of idolatry and false religion. Have, have you done that? Have, are you endeavoring to do that? To, to know Christ, to know Him relationally, to know Him by faith. As the Bible says, to know Christ is to have the, all the old things passed away, all things become new. You have a new Lord and Master. You're to desire what he desires. You're to value what he values. You're to hate what he hates. And yes, God does hate things. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. You are to think what he thinks and feel about things the way he feels about them. And and at times you're going to find yourself in conflict with that because we've not yet been glorified. But the Holy Spirit within us demands that wherever we go, We are little tabernacles going about the land. Living a life for Christ that is distinguishable. Holy distinction. Separation from the nations and consecration to God were two different facets of their exclusive relationship with the Lord. When transgression occurred, rites of purification were available for the restoration of cleanness and holiness. Now for us... We don't have to go back to a tabernacle and take the the goat or the lamb and redo this. We simply go to repentance. We go to prayer. and We say, Lord, I'm sorry. I I allowed the struggles of the day. I allowed the indulgence in last night's donut box. And I allowed the late night spent perusing the internet, looking at YouTube videos to completely knock me off my day so that I was unprepared spiritually, physically, emotionally for what was becoming at me today. And the devil saw me coming from a mile away, got his, what's the big, big golf club you hit the ball real far with? A driver? Okay, he got his driver, he sees you coming and, well, that's baseball. And, and there you go. So it's important that we understand that you don't just get up one day and say, I'm going to be good today. You have to start now. It's every moment of your day. Okay. There are two things that I want to get into. Let's read the text in in, uh, Leviticus chapter 6. Let's all stand in honor of his God and reading of his word in Leviticus chapter 6 verse 8. Now again, I just want you to remember that this basically goes back through all of the offerings. We're not going to read it all, but there's some things. There's two things that I want you to get. This is the law of the burnt offering, and it says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons. So again, we're talking to the priests here and his sons. This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth, upon the altar, all night until morning. And the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. Number one, the fire shall never, ever go out. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers, and he shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering, which the fire has consumed on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on the other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. Notice verse 12. And the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. 
And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. And what does it say again? It shall not be put out. Okay, let's pray. Father, please help us as we look into these passages and through the power of your Holy Spirit, which is in each one of us who know you. And for those who are here, Lord, that do not know Christ, they're estranged from Christ. God, that your Holy Spirit would show them that they need to lay down on the altar and die. Please, Lord, raise them up in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I'll have more coming, but let's address this one fact. Every single offering had fire. Okay? It had fire. Fire. Burning. Something is going up in smoke. The priests were the ones administrating this intercession, if you will. They were taking the, 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 the Hebrews that were coming to them, wanting to be right with God, and, and they would minister to them by officiating this particular offering that they were bringing. And they would keep the fire going. And then they would take some of it and they would sprinkle it around. And sometimes they would go inside. And all the while they're officiating or mediating this atonement. This peace. This renewal. This restoration. This, this, clean, this cleansing. That was their job. That's what Jesus does for us every day. He never stops. Also... That's what Jesus desires to do through us as well. Isn't it? It is, isn't it? We're called ministers of the gospel. Now, so we have ministers of the gospel, which I am. But all of us who know Christ are ministers of the gospel. Every single man, woman, and child that knows Jesus is a minister of the gospel in the practical way of showing the love of Christ to the world, and not just the love of Christ, because with love comes truth. The truth of Christ to the world, right? And the accountability to Christ in the world. Most people just want to stop at love and go on. But can you really have love without truth? I don't, I don't think you can. So, fire, then. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit is mentioned as fire in the New Testament. And it's interesting that He never goes out, does He? The Holy Spirit can be quenched in the believer's life. He can be grieved in the believer's life. But in the believer's life, the Holy Spirit of God, as God, can never be extinguished. That's why... You may do something dumb as a believer today, and then maybe that, that evening or the next day, it just hits you like a sledgehammer between the eyes. Oh my goodness, as the Holy Spirit says, now that you're still, let's talk about that incident yesterday. You know the one, when you were holding your hand out the window with your fist saying things at the traffic? Yeah, no one heard you, but I did. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about that today, right now, since you're still. You're like, why did I do? And so you get things right. But he never goes out as a 
our God is a consuming fire. And in our life as believers, you understand that He is burning away every day every bad thing in you. And it takes a lifetime to do. Okay? I wish sometimes that I could just have like all the propane torches on me and get it done all at once. Okay? Just, woo, and that's it. Man, you've seen Mickey lately. He's awfully dark, kind of charry. No, <laughs> but just wish it could be done. But this is the love relationship. This is the learning to, to obedience and learning the grace of Christ and all of those things. But back to our text, it says this. As the priest approaches this altar, it says... That it shall be kept, this fire shall be kept burning on it. And it says the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers and he shall put on his body. Now that's a curious detail, don't you think? Linen trousers. I thought they didn't have pants till later. But pants are not a new thing. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 26. This is just one of those things. If you read past it, you just will. And be like, wow, that's something. What does that mean? When... Uh, This is the law of the altar, actually. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 22, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Exodus chapter 20 and verse, uh, yeah, Exodus 20 and verse 22, Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Yep, we've seen it. And you shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. They shouldn't have it, and Christian, you shouldn't have it. Okay? An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings and your sheep and your oxen. And every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Now notice verse 26. Nor shall you go up by, up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. So they had to wear trousers because God's, God took His holiness. Well, God is holy just, as, a, just, just as, as He exists. But His holiness is so pronounced that not even their nakedness could even run the risk of being exposed. Now you understand, they had these long, this, these robes they wore. But even under there, they had to have trousers on. Lest when they took a step their nakedness would be exposed and they would profane that place. Now, try to just, please, try to hang with me here. In our life, God is still holy. He's the same God that we're reading about. His name should not be profaned in our life. We need to keep the pants on of our life so as not to profane what He's doing in our life. We cannot be, in other words, careless or reckless or casual in how we approach God. I'm not advocating that we come trembling like God's about to smack us. But I'm also not advocating that we walk into his courts with our chest out and our chin up saying, I can be here. I'm saying that just as these priests had to wear pants when they went into the presence of God on the altar, so do we need to keep ourselves 
figuratively speaking, holy, humble, and set apart to administrate without any kind of shame or desecration to what He's done and doing in our life. Amen? We have to think that way. We live in a culture that doesn't even know how to think. So I'm going to give you some good news and some bad news. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you the weird good news. Well, I'm going to give you the bad news first, then I'm going to give you the good news. The bad news is Western culture is losing their minds at a rapid pace. Okay, so now, uh, you know, we all know about the sexual. It's all sexual stuff, isn't it? Right? Well, the bad news is they're losing it at such a rapid rate, they don't know what they are. And they don't know who they are. The good news is there's a built-in mechanism of grace that evil will eventually just destroy itself. And when this bubble bursts and that stuff starts falling down, because it fails, it's, you know, you can only prop up stupidity for so long. Okay, and then it fails. And then when that happens, when, and then when that happens, people look for hope. People look for truth. People are hungry for, well, that didn't work out. Here I am. And then here comes God's people. Oh, hey, hey, what's up? Well, I just lost my worldview. Oh, yeah, where'd you lose it? Well, have you thought about God's view? Because I could tell you about that one. Really, what's God's view? Well, God's view is, and then you tell them the gospel. That's our job. That's why we're supposed to be here. And we can only do that when we live as people who hallow His name in our life. You have to have credibility as a Christian. Or else you will have the whole do as I say and not as I do mentality. That doesn't work. So as we move on, he shall mess with the ashes and do stuff and take it outside the camp. And, 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 and then it, he shall change his garments because he has to be clean. But it, it, the thing that stuck out to me most of all here was in 12 and 13. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. Now why should the fire on the altar be kept burning? Because there's always sin to be consumed. That's why. We never stop, do we? Never stop. And our Jesus never stops. And this world system, it's just going to keep on going until it's over. But in mine and your life as Christians, that fire on the altar never stops burning and we need to praise God for it. Jesus never stops being sufficient. Jesus never stops cleansing and we see that imagery lived out here in Leviticus. Well, it goes on down, and uh, we read that uh, there's some other instances where I want to, to take you as we. It, it talks about the other offerings, but it gets to something else. Look with me in, 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 in chapter 6, verse 17. He's talking about the law of the grain offering. And it says, it shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy, like the sin offering and trespass offering. So 
what we see here in verse 18 also is everyone who touches these things must be holy. And then this theme of being holy or it is holy is repeated in verse 25, 27, 29, chapter 7, verse 1, and, and and verse 6. Holy, be holy, it should be holy, you should be holy, it should be kept holy. The idea is, remember that what is offered to God is to be kept holy. Remember what we were just saying about living a distinct life? Well, distinction in what we're talking about is holy distinction. Now, holy... We think in our minds, if we hear the word, well, that's kind of ethereal. There's, I, I, see, I see white clothes and perfection and, and, and it's heavenly above. But in the practical sense, the Bible uses this word for us to mean we have been set apart, hallowed. We hallow it. This building, I've said it a million times, is a hallowed space. It, we, you could technically call this facility a holy space. But not in the sense of it being anything. It's not a little more. It needs repaired for crying out loud. Okay, it's not a, it's not a heavenly structure. But it's, it's set apart to do the work of the gospel or to, to facilitate in it. It's identifiable. It's distinct. So we do our best to not do anything in here or bring anything in here that would defile that, right? We respect it as holy. That's why we don't do playoff games in here. That's why we don't do Super Bowl stuff in here. That's why we, we, we watch our language and others' language in here. That's why we don't do and bring into this, this place things that defile because it's, a, it's been set apart for that. In our lives, we are much more than a physical being building of stone and wood and insulation we are God's building so remember that what is offered to God is to be kept holy that's your life that's my life if you know Christ that means that you're going to as a Christian you will always be being Refined. As the world vomits out its junk. And again, the good news is it will burn itself out. The worse it gets, the faster it goes. Did you know that when certain animal or rodent populations reach a certain population, that they die like voles? It's crazy. All my voles went away. They just died. Their, their, their numbers got so big, it's like, a, it's like an automatic correction or something. They just die. And I hadn't seen one. They're all just dead. So, as this sin thing goes, people are going to be looking for options when it fails. The secular, human, the secular humanist enemy of Christ will be put down. It will fail just like all the other enemies of Christ have be put down. Because the Bible says he must rule until he puts all things under his feet. So it will be no different. How long does that take? A little while. But we're still here. And we're preaching the gospel. Right? So when secular humanism fails, the homosexual movement fails, when all this stuff fails, 
the political idea that somehow politics can save the world, when all that fails, the gospel will still be here. Because Christ won. He won. He's winning. He will win. He's won. And all the nations he's asked for from the Father. And he said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Did you hear that? It not will be. It has been given. All of it. So, while all these things vie for attention and populate and eventually go, because that's what happens. We're still here preaching the gospel. That's our job, right? We have to remember that what is offered to God in order to do that is to be kept holy. That's our lives. There's nothing worse than a discredited Christian, I think. I don't know what could be. And, and, and here's the problem. You think, boy, yeah, you better watch it, preacher. Well, I've discredited myself a million times. But then I do something. Well, actually, then something happens. The Lord says, hey, whose are you? You're mine, and you won't be acting that way. Now, let's talk about why you're acting that way. Well, Lord, I think it's just because I'm hungry. <laughs> it was the woman, Lord. No, that's been tried. It didn't work out, so <laughs> can't use that one. And he might say, yeah, it was the woman I gave you to keep you straight. You should listen to her. <laughs> but let's talk about why that's happening. And then the Lord begins to refine us. And then you're there and you say, Father, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of my just dumbness. My casualness that just seeps in. And God, keep me close. So I don't drift away. Here's a warning with these two admonitions. The fire must be kept burning. It should never go out in your life. Just like them. What they, was, what they offered to God in, in those passages. Should, should always be regarded as holy. What we offer to God should always be regarded as holy. And there's a warning that comes in chapter 7. Verse 19 through 21. Here's the warning that comes with those two admonitions. The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. Because again, we're talking about the offerings. And as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. Bring your offering. If you need to be clean to bring it, Get clean. Now, what does that mean in the Christian life? We're already, we're already clean because of Christ, but relationally, by, by, by virtue of ongoing interpersonal relationship with the Lord, we need to maybe come to the altar afresh and say, Oh, Lord, you know, I've just started eating some dumb stuff and kind of laziness, kind of let lazy come in and... and uh, I've also allowed myself to slip back into, uh, I don't know, thinking about other things or doing other things. And Lord, this stuff is just kind of getting in the way. And so, Lord, I'm, before I go any further, 
I just want to come and lay it down. Would you cleanse me, take it off me? Of course he will. It's not to be saved again. It's simply to be cleansed. It's simply to be made right in that relationship. Every husband knows what it's like to have a mad wife at home. And so you try the passive approach sometimes. Now listen, I've tried this. You, you come in and, and you, you think, well, if I pretend that it didn't happen, I'll just let on like it didn't. And then it'll just kind of go by like the wind. And so you're bebopping around there being positive intentionally. Disingenuous. And you're just pretending like everything's okay and you, drink, you make a jolly conversation and all you get is a few grunts and nods. But you're not, this is the plan. You have to act like it didn't happen. Until finally, that you realize that doesn't work. Now, you're still married. It's just that your passive avoidance and pretending like it's just going to keep going by isn't working. So finally, you say, okay, I guess you're probably wondering why I didn't do that or why I broke this or why I didn't say I did or whatever. And they're like, kind of. (laughs) Kind of like wondering when you were going to get around to it. By the way, passive avoidance doesn't work. And they blink a lot like that when they get mad. Okay. (laughs) And you're thinking... Well, thanks for at least humoring me. And then finally you can get into the conversation and you can get things ironed out, right? And then the next thing you know, depending on how your wife is, mine cools pretty quickly, uh, you know, you can go off and have coffee again together and follow la 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 down the road. And, and you don't have to be passively, you know, working an angle, right? That's how it is kind of with the Lord. You, you, you come... And get it right. You got to get it off you. He doesn't forget and move on. It's just let's talk about it because he's holy. And what you've offered him must be. That's why you can eat of it. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord while he is unclean. That person shall be cut off from among his people. So can you imagine in, in this old covenant where fire came out and consumed Aaron's sons for profane fire. They got charcoal. Okay, that was lightning, by the way. <laughs> okay, so imagine casually, well, you know, I don't have a goat to go to the priest, and I got to go. So, well, you know, old Joe Bob's got out the other day. He doesn't know it. Hmm, I don't have to use mine. I'll just take his. He doesn't know it's missing, and I hadn't said anything, and I know where it's stuck. I'm going to go get it out of the mud hole and I'll take it. I'll clean it up first. Just make it look good. And you bring it and you say, oh, here you go. I'm just so pious. And, you know, there you go. Aren't I good? And that person is going to be cut off from his people. Because it's fake and God sees right through it. Churches are full of people that do that. Even preachers that preach like that. But I think this passage, that's the warning. You don't want to be that person. Ever. Okay. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as a human uncleanness, any unclean animal, any abominable unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice or the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, because what you give to God is God's. If you've allocated 10% of your income to God, 
For example, this is a place to start. You're like, oh, you're talking about money. Just bear with me. Come on. That's God's money. You're spending God's money. If you've, if you've said, this is your, I'm going to give it to you, Lord. If you just give me this job, I'm going to give you 10%. You're spending God. You're robbing from God. Better not to vow than to make a vow and not keep it. Okay? Or, here's something more subtle. This is very personal for me. If you've vowed to God that you will take some time one day a month to spend with Him, you best be spending it with Him. Because if you go about your merry way, you're stealing your time from Him. You're the one that made the deal. You've given that time to Him. He put it on your heart to do it for your good. You best see that you do it. Well, Lord, I know if I eat bad food, I always act bad because food has a problem with me. And that's, that's real. Sugar does it to me. I, if I eat sugar, I get weird. Okay? I mean, really weird. More than usual. I get sleepy, like, and I get irritable and crabby. That's why I don't eat a lot of the sweets, because I just get, can't do that at church. Okay? So, but I say, Lord, I, I can't be like that, because you don't think that the devil's not sitting there with his driver? Go ahead. Have the milkshake. I'm ready. Just do it. We have to live holy, distinct lives. Christ paid our sin debt. We are set free in Him. This isn't about being legalistic. This is about being reverent. This is about saying, Lord, you have my body. My eyes are yours. My ears are yours. My hands and feet are yours. In fact, everything I got's yours. So, Lord, I'm not going to look at dumb stuff. That'd be like pulling an old pig carcass in here and letting it rot. Or how about rock chuck or something? Okay? They're very mangy. Anyway, doing that. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to stuff that causes me to act in a certain way or remember certain memories. And people say all the time, because, you know, Gen X, and I'm rambling here. I'm going to finish up. But, but uh, especially Sarah, you do, because, hey, you know, we grew up with uh, heavy, big hair metal bands and stuff in the day. I heard this song, maybe remember all this stuff. I don't want to remember a lot of this stuff. I don't really want to remember all this stuff. It's not good stuff. I don't care to remember stuff like that, right? We have to be careful in how we live. To know Christ is to be distinctly different and fight that war inside. I'm going to ask JT to come. Do you know Jesus today? Now, I can't make you know Christ, but I can sure offer you this. The Bible says that if you will turn from your sins, repent of your sins, say, Lord, I am a sinner. I need you. I cannot do this. Because you know the Holy Spirit of God is upon you, convicting you of your sin. Give your sin to Christ. Believe in Him as all you have left. Turn to Him. Place your full faith in Him. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. To fill you with His Spirit. And then live for Him and be renewed, be born again. And Christian, remember, 
Don't let the fire go out. And remember that what you offer to God is supposed to be kept holy.